0: I'm Kyle Rhoad and this is the Rebel HR Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Rebel HR is a podcast for HR professionals who are ready to make some disruption in the world of work. Follow us online on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, rebelhumanresources.com. Follow me on Twitter at RebelHRGuy. All right, listeners, I am extremely excited for today's show. Today with me are co-hosts Molly Burdes and Patrick Moran, as always, uh, my HR rock stars. Our guest today is Elisa Garn, one of my favorite people to hang out with at an HR conference. Molly and Patrick, as always, thanks for joining me. Really excited about today's show. How's everything going in your world?
1: You know, what I've been noticing recently, and I always welcome this to a point, but I've been noticing more and more people coming to my office or my coworker's office and just kind of doing like a 10, 15 minute mental dump. And we all know that gets exhausting, but I feel like just lately over the past three, four weeks, it's just been more and more. And and it's great we could be that outlet for people, but we need a break too sometimes, right?
0: Yeah. What do you, what is your approach when someone says, I just need to vent?
1: I just say, bring it on. Cause I'm with you. I'm in the same boat with you. I got the kids. We're dealing with all these decisions at work. And what's a lot of times people just want to be heard and, and you don't really always have to have a solution for them, but you know, you could try and stay positive, be empathetic and show that you care. And sometimes certain times of the day, like a Monday morning, that could be hard for me, but it's, you know, we got to do our best, right?
2: Yeah. I always ask them, okay, do you just want to listen? Do you want feedback? What do you want out of this? Um, otherwise I can find myself going down a spiral. I'm also personally working on emotionally dismissive or emotionally supportive language. Um, I've actually got a little flyer up right on my bulletin board there that helps me through that.
0: Expand upon that, Molly.
2: So like, for example, um, If somebody comes in with a problem, an emotionally dismissive response could be everyone feels that way sometimes, or you have a good life, you shouldn't be so upset, or just look on the bright side. Like that's typically where I tend to go and I'm learning that's probably not the the best where the supportive side is, I can see why you're angry. Tell me more. What do you need right now? What do you need from me? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think my wife would like it if I played along with that a little bit more, maybe.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> We've been married a while, but I'm still learning that telling somebody to calm down is not going to help them calm down.
2: I almost spit my coffee out. <laughs> I hey, I'm going to admit it, guys.
0: I, your pregnant, pregnant wife. Just, <laughs> I know.
2: <laughs> Are you flipping kidding me? I'm not calming down right now. Don't ever say that to me again.
1: <laughs> Did she Kyle, call you? you've been on this earth how many years, and you still say that?
0: Oh, I'm not. I'm never thinking when I say it. <laughs> but then again, I'm never thinking when I say a lot of things. So you know, that's it, just kind of the way it is. Oh. <laughs> so excited that uh, our our guest Elisa Garn is with us today. A little bit about Elisa. So I met her at a, uh, a Sherm uh, conference. This will be the most sober conversation that we have had. I think uh, we are always a few drinks deep into a conference as we start to talk about uh, human resources. So Elisa is a human experience evangelist, a status quo disruptor, and a brand shaman. And her hashtag, if anybody's interested, is HRAF. So welcome to the show, Alisa.
3: (laughs) That's a great introduction. And I totally agree. It's interesting about the drinks. There might be more F-bombs included during those conversations, but I think the content is still going to be pretty similar. Perfect. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I always tell people, if you want to see what letting loose is, just go to an HR conference where everybody has been taken out of their safe comfort zones and thrown together with a bunch of other HR people.
3: Well, HR people are like the most repressed profession out there because we have to be super confidential and we have all these secrets that we have to hide. And when you get around your people, all of that just sheds off and you finally get this freedom to just, you know, free will and live life. So (laughs) you're right. HR conferences are, are some of the freakiest out there. I think maybe next to CFO (laughs) conferences. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I've never been to a CFO conference, but I, I have no desire. <laughs> They're probably the most fun.
3: <laughs> that's probably true. Maybe we'll have to crash one one day. We'll put on some fake mustaches and see what we can do.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. So, uh, least you've been extremely active over the last few years, and I think um, a, a great advocate for, for the profession, and a great advocate for uh, disruption in the world of work as well as, um, and I love this, focusing on the human experience and the employee experience. So why don't you just tell our listeners, what is your calling?
3: Oh, I don't know if I'd say it's a calling, but I definitely feel like it's it's something I've latched onto from more likely my own personal experiences and where I feel our profession is headed to provide the most impact that we can. So disruption is really interesting because Disruption and disrupt and all of those little buzzwords have kind of lost some of their meaning over the last couple of years, Um, which is unfortunate because I think the word itself is what we're trying to do. But I think it kind of got a reputation for uh, we just want to ruffle feathers and drop F-bombs on stage and be irreverent. I don't think that's necessarily I mean, that's a part of it. That's a vein, we'll say, but it's not. <laughs> it's one small facet of the overall gem that we're trying to create here as disruptors. So um, human experience really is broadly even outside of work life and those other things. Human experience is about how we as an individual incorporate the stimuli around us as it relates to our own backgrounds, our own, you know, Life experiences and cultural beliefs and everything tied into how we personalize that stimuli. So human experience is a very unique uh, thing that all of us have from our own lens. But as it relates to the workplace, it does often get lumped into employee experience. And I'm not here to say that I have the definitions of these, but just for the sake of this conversation to better articulate the difference, what it means to me, employee experience is much more about the transactional process as what it means to be an employee at a company. So that can include applying for a job, what it's like to be a candidate, your onboarding experience, the training experiences you have while you're there, and then ultimately your departure and how that's handled. Those are all really important and critical points along your employee journey, but that's not necessarily taking into consideration the personalization of that. Um, What's been fascinating over this past, I'd say, three months, really since the George Floyd incident, has been a new and refreshed attention to diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. And all of that is completely centered around human experience. Um, I, I usually like to give the, the softball example of um, having tampons in your women's restrooms at work. Most organizations like facilities managers and commercial uh, real estate people like the people that build those buildings that sublease those spaces out. Are usually men and they don't even think about that that's a basic hygienic need for most women and as women we have come to set the expectation for ourselves that it's our responsibility to have those with us at all times but guess what as a woman who has had the unfortunate and very embarrassing incident of not having one when i needed all of a sudden i have to go find my tribe and i'm asking any woman on the street I'm so sorry, but do you have a tampon that I can, I don't usually say borrow because I'm not getting to give it back when I'm done. Well, she probably didn't want that. <laughs> but you know, like it's actually been funny because I've made some friends at work that way because you have to have this layer of vulnerability to ask something like that. But even saying the word in front of some men is extremely uncomfortable for them. And that is, first of all, bizarre, but it's such a great articulation of why we have a broken initiative as it relates to diversity, equity, inclusion in the workplace. That's like one tiny, small, stupid, insignificant thing. But if we can't even say that word about a basic need of women in the workplace, I can't even imagine what it's like being somebody of a different religion or race or you know, a transgender or somebody that has even smaller, you know, at least as women, we're about 50-50 representing in the workplace, but having like a, a true minority population where people don't understand what you're bringing with you has got to be like one of the most challenging things to get right and, and to feel like they have, that they're valued as individuals and that they have that opportunity to bring their whole selves to work. So that was, I know, a bit of a rant, but um, hopefully that gives a pretty good overall introduction to a to, to your question of what I'm all about. <laughs> Human experience, baby.
0: That's great. I, you know what I love about that example is that especially in our world, it seems like a lot of the things we talk about are very flowery and kind of warm and fuzzy, but that's a great example of a very pragmatic and practical thing that an employer just needs to do, right? And it's just the right thing to do. It's not about some overarching HR initiative. It's about, hey, let's make 50% of your workplace comfortable and prevent them from being in an uncomfortable situation. And as humans, I think we should all strive to do that, right? So great example, well right. said. I know that you have, you certainly have an entrepreneurial spirit and you started your own brand architect
3: firm. Yeah, personal branding. To help yeah. people define their career passions to tap into that like magic of discretionary effort because they do stuff that they actually care about.
0: So I'm curious in your career path, wow. looks like you started out in recruiting and kind of your more typical HR. What led you down the path of entrepreneurship and ultimately into the uh, current role you're in
1: today?
3: I I don't think it started as an adult. I think I'm one of those where I was born with it. I remember fourth grade, uh, fourth grade I had a bunch of like toys and just stuff like stuffed animals and things that that I knew I didn't want anymore and so I decided I was going to sell them to my friends so I uh, asked my mom for five dollars and I went to the dollar store and I bought a bunch of tissue paper and gift bags and I made grab bags because at that time I think I I was doing more of like (laughs) what I thought I would do. I don't want them to actually see the toys. I want them to pay for it first. And so they're kind of paying for the excitement of not knowing. Uh, so I charged my friends a dollar a piece and um, doubled the money, the investment that my mom gave me for the for the gift cards and or gift bags and ended up doing that really through, uh, I think, middle school. And then when I got into high school, I, I graduated out of that and started playing soccer and some other things, but I've always had that desire of creating something and delivering value as an individual and owning it. I think it's really difficult for people that have that mindset to be great employees because they're always looking for the edge of like, how can I have a piece of this? And most CEOs and business owners, especially larger companies are not really looking to, um, (laughs) to divest any additional part of their business to a frontline HR person, so uh, I, you know, I, I would say that the early part of my career, I, I didn't really have what I would consider a career. It was a job. It was a means to an end, and I exchanged time for money. And uh, my big plan was to stay home and be a homemaker and raise kids. And then uh, I had my kids, and I was like, no, <laughs> 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 I can learn. I'm not cut out for this. <laughs> I so like- I went back to work and started pursuing more of a what I would consider the kind of the career phase of my life. Um, I did dip into sales for about four years at the recruiting agency you'd mentioned. So with about 10 years of HR prior to that, and then going into a sales role, it really opened my eyes to all of the intricacies of business acumen that I had just missed as an HR professional. And I loved it. Particularly. I loved going out and doing the business development. I loved networking. I loved building the relationships But even more so, I loved the power and control of knowing what was happening in the business environment. I knew all the players. I knew where all the the bodies were buried. Um, And it was really fun to be able to to have that level of information, but also create these, these introductions of companies and individuals for really bright, shiny, successful matches where the culture of that organization was perfect for this person and where they were at in their career. And I really, really enjoyed that. But ultimately, that entrepreneurism in me took over and I, I didn't want to continue building someone else's business. So I dabbled. I went back into got some experience as an executive HR uh, in person for about three years and really have just always had always had a side hustle so my my personal branding company right now is a side hustle my day job which I would be remiss if I didn't throw it out there but I am the VP of thought leadership and brand marketing for GBS benefits which is an employee benefit brokerage out of Salt Lake City Uh, and it affords me the opportunity to stay connected to my HR network and do a lot of the things that I love and care about but I still do all of these other things on the side like consulting and um, I do a lot of public presentations, and it's it's important to me because it's where I feel like I can have that layer of control without getting disgruntled, get dis, getting disgruntled in my day job. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> it's been really important, uh, an important blend for me, and I think not an uncommon tale for a lot of HR professionals today.
2: In regards to disruption, was there a point in your career where you're like, you know what, I want to do this differently. I want to think differently than most of my peers. Did you ever have that aha moment? Because the reality is not all HR professionals are disruptors yet. Um, Ideally, we'd like to get them there. But how did you take that leap? Or was there like a trigger moment?
3: I don't know if it was a trigger moment, but there was definitely a trigger period. I mean, when I was doing recruiting and no longer being an HR practitioner inside the four walls of a company – I was out talking to CEOs and hearing their frustrations and the disappointment that they had with their HR team. And even just like the kind of whispers of, oh, here comes HR. Like all of that was being compounded in the people that were hiring for this function and the people that were saying really the ones portraying the value of what they wanted to see. And that was very impactful to to my understanding of like, Man, people hate us. Like it's always had a little bit of that connotation, you know, in in media and stuff, like Toby of the office is always the the grand example. But as I started recognizing, like, okay, this isn't just a joke. I mean, this is you you're talking about people's pay, you're talking about their benefits. It has so much of a ripple impact. on their livelihood and how they show up at home and their stress levels. And for us to just sort of take a flippant approach of this transactional expectation of you come in, ask a question, and we solve a problem wasn't good enough. That was not what the CEO was asking for. Um, So that sort of led into, I guess, my disruptive movement of trying to create shared language for to start with. HR people and CEOs wanted the same thing, but they were not speaking in the same language. So that was really the first thing of like, I can't just go out there and tell HR people they suck and they have to be different. That's not going to create change. If anything, they're just going to hunker down and say you're an asshole and I don't want to talk to you and you're not in my network. I knew that I had to do it from a place of empathy to help them understand that what you're trying to accomplish, you want that proverbial seat at the table. You want to be taken more seriously, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it has to start with you speaking the language like, you know, you expect you expect your CEO who's on Mars to come to your planet on Venus and speak Venusian. But if I go to Spain, I'm not going to vacation to Spain and expect everybody there to speak English just because the world revolves around me. Um, so I, I, I do think that that's been more of my approach and really kind of how I, I warmed up to that and why it was so important. Um Having said that, there's always going to be a place for traditional HR. There's always going to be small businesses that just want to get by on the bare minimum. And there will be demand for those jobs, I think, even into this next era we're headed into. But those aren't the high paying jobs. They're not the ones that when that company does go out of business or struggles or has to do layoffs, It's going to be very challenging for those individuals to continue to find reputable work because that particular skill set and demand is getting smaller and smaller and that world is closing in around them. So that's where I've seen the biggest struggle of people that are very unwilling to adopt some of these changes and what we're trying to push collectively as as disruptors.
1: I cannot agree more with you on that one if you don't if you're in HR and you do not understand the world of business especially the business you're in don't be in HR don't be that transactional HR person you really got to understand um, and talk the talk of all the business leaders or else you're going to fail
3: there's an article I wrote recently for Forbes because this goes back to that shared language Uh, and I love talking about it because everybody connects with it so easily but I talk about the three personas of HR so Persona one is traffic cop. These are these are are traditionalists, right? Like they're in the heat of the drama. They're in the middle of the intersection, blowing their whistle, telling people what to do. But they still do it from a place of like where they find their value is keeping people safe. They like process and procedure because it's replicable and it's expected. So they're very reactive. They don't have the time and ability to be strategic because they are dealing with constantly all day long what is coming at them. Then you have city planner HR people, and usually these are not HR defined roles. It's usually a CFO. It could be organizational development design, but these are people that are very good at blowing things apart and seeing all of the individual pieces as individual pieces and then putting them back together. So when they look down on the city, they're looking at where do we need to build ad- additional infrastructure? Where's the next neighborhood going in? Where do we need to widen the roads, etc. And then you have like, Mayor HR people. And this is, I would say, relatively new over the last five to 10 years of our profession. These are not just PR fluff people, but these are people that understand the dynamics of government, or in our case, business for the analogy, and they know what is going on with constituents. So they're out there and they're listening to people and they're shaking hands and they're kissing babies, And but they also have presence. They're able to impact and influence because they know how to create followership and they truly do it from a place of caring. They're not union stewards, they're not that there to go and demand on behalf of employees or we're gonna riot, but they have this very delicate balance and blend of being able to represent employees or you know city constituents to the executive team to better understand like look I know what it's like to manage our budget I am the one that's putting my face and reputation on the line for this organization for this city and so they almost have this blended um ability to be able to to uh, to resonate with all different types and do it from a way of understanding the importance of things like employer branding like if you want to be a destination place to visit or live or work, then you have to know some of those particulars of what it's like, like what are those people looking for? And then represent adequately to to provide those. So when I talk about those three, here's the rub. Most CEOs expect HR to be all three. And that not only is unfair, but it's highly, highly improbable that you're going to find an individual that is capable and talented in all three of those executions. Of our profession, so usually I recommend like really pri- like help, uh, prioritize like what is most important to you in this role. Are there things you can outsource to be able to make room for some of the others, and then act accordingly? But if you want all of this from one person, you're going to be sorely disappointed and continue being disappointed because you're going to hire for one of them because you see that highlight in that individual, and then the others are probably going to be very lacking.
0: I think that's a great point. It's like the old adage in recruiting where you want the you want the introvert that gets along with people really well and likes meeting new people all the time right like you can't, you can't get
3: want <laughs> a scientist that you want to hang out with and go grab drinks right <laughs> yeah yeah
0: crazy days for us and crazy days in HR and I think that the traffic cop mayoral analogy is is absolutely perfect I feel like during covid you know i I was initially kind of the mayor and and then I've been been thrust into the traffic cop role because now we now safety, security, all these you know personal needs are are at the forefront. So, what advice would you give to an HR practitioner that's being asked to step into a role that's uncomfortable for them?
3: Well, discomfort is is the path to change and growth. So, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, but it is tricky when you feel like you're regressing in your career because you're being asked to take a step back and serve in a capacity that is not going to take advantage of your full talents. So I guess my best advice is take time to reflect on what's being asked and what really is needed and necessary for the long game. Because you're right, this year is uh, selfishly, I, I don't want to alienate anyone, but man, I am so glad I am not an HR practitioner this year. I just even trying to keep up with some of my volunteer roles and my HR network of what they've had to deal with in terms of new laws and compliance and um, people, try, people trying to abuse FMLA laws and just like all of the messiness of this year. It's, it's taxing even for me to, to absorb some of that as a, as a secondary person, let alone being the one that's solely responsible for it. So I guess some of my best advice is, again, just look at if that's what you're being asked to do. And that is what's going to provide the most amount of impact. Sometimes. I would say that I probably most align with the mayor myself, maybe a little bit of city planner, um, but I hate traffic cop stuff. I hate it. I did it for the first 10 years of my career. And there are people out there, thankfully that are better at it than I am that enjoy it. um, And it is a necessary evil. But the thing that I, I have to remember sometimes is even if I'm in a strategic role, the impact that the things that I control on the employee experience are not always going to be the sexy parties and the fun games and the swag. Sometimes it's going to be a very baseline expectations of answering questions and giving them a and calmness in amidst chaos. So if that means, you know, pulling yourself back into a transactional role and, and refocusing on I need to make sure that our people know that they're safe, that we have this under control over communicate, which is impossible, but do everything I can to make sure that they know that I've got their back and that we know what we're doing and we're gonna get through this. That is a much higher calling than probably anything else you could be doing in an HR capacity and in a year like we've had. Um, So even though it's hard, that's where you really have to step take that step back to see the bigger picture of in a year or two when eventually this does settle down and it will, people will reflect on that and they'll look at how you handled it. They'll look at how they felt during that. And that is ultimately what's going to divide the wheat from the chaff with, with people that are great at understanding empathy and employee experience and what true leadership is
2: you're absolutely right and in fact i'm seeing it now i'm seeing a lot of individuals leave other jobs come interview with us because they didn't like how their company handled covid or the layoffs during covid or the george floyd situation and everything that came after that um, so i'm seeing that now so i completely agree and i think employer branding um there's so much you can do through these hard times just to get through and and be better on the other side it's a great point
3: yeah. With authenticity, yeah. throw that little caveat in there.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's great. Do the that's right great. thing just because it's the right thing.
3: Right.
0: Well, I think it's such a such an important point that you know culture and and human experience and employee experience it all boils down to the sum of all of the actions that you take. Right. So the actions you take today to keep people safe will reverberate through your culture uh, well beyond that one policy decision that you made related to COVID-19.
3: Absolutely.
0: Well, we are just getting started with this conversation, so we're gonna have to um, we're gonna have to do this again here, Elisa, but great. Hey,
3: you have me back for a part two and we'll go we'll go deeper with like at least three more afterwards.
0: Perfect. We'll just schedule like a three hour and we'll just go we'll just go deep. And we'll have to do it we'll do it after hours so we can drink and then it'll be more of our natural
3: environment. Sure. sure. Uh, Kyle, I say that go. all the
1: time. Why do you schedule these things at this time? It's gotta be later. So Sorry, we can have a cocktail, knock this off. It's gotta be later.
3: <laughs> Sorry,
0: Patrick, I, I promise I'll let you get a Bud Light in your hand at one of these, one of these.
3: <laughs> hey, well, when the world does return back to normal, I'd love to schedule time to come out and visit. And if we can do an in-person event, especially for your listeners, I would welcome the opportunity to get on a plane uh, at some point. So Please. happy happy to chat with you guys again.
0: Please. Yes. Plane rides sound great right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I
3: miss them. I miss all of those germs. Bring them back.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Elisa Garn, where can we find you if anybody wants to get connected?
3: Uh, best place to connect with me is probably on LinkedIn because that's where I live and breathe. So uh, just find me. My name is E-L-I-S-A-G-A-R-N. Pretty easy to find.
0: Great content. Uh, just check out uh, check out the LinkedIn. You'll get some great information and uh, I guarantee it will uh, help you if you are in human resources. So thank you so much, Elisa. Have a uh, great rest of your day.
3: Thanks, guys. See ya.
0: Thanks. Thanks. All right. That does it for the Rebel HR Podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors that do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organization's
2: Baby